0: Hi everyone, uh, I'm Chris and we're here at Hope Chapel recording our Sunday talk, our Sunday teaching on Wednesday. And uh, we've got Hope on Wednesday happening in the prayer centre. We might hear some worship music happening shortly. We've Had a food bank here this morning and I've got a Hong Kong mug here because i um, have just been in a meeting with um, some people from Hong Kong, some Hong Kong Christians who are looking for a place to meet as church in, in Bristol. And we jumped at the chance saying, hey, would you like to use Hope Chapel? For uh, the, their sort of Friday evening, Saturday morning meetings. So that was an exciting thing at this time, you know, real political um, turmoil in Hong Kong, and um, and it's a great opportunity to be able to help and and, and connect with uh, the church from Hong Kong. So that was uh, that's that's. I'm thinking of them with this uh, Hong Kong mug. We're in this uh, series, a little series at the moment, as we're creeping out of um, lockdown, as we're emerging out of all the COVID restrictions. And which, and and the pandemic has really helped us to reassess uh, church, hasn't it? And what is church? How does it, how does my Christian life work out as an individual, as a household, as community? And so we are beaming in on kingdom community. And uh, last week I spoke to sort of start this off looking at being a people that are, that are called and that are sent and that encourage each other. And uh, for our second one we've got Paul Golf here and for the last, maybe a couple of years almost, really, he's been really helping us to, to look at the gospel and look at who God is through a fresh, uh, fresh lens. And it's been such rich teaching uh, that really helps us to, again, it's one of those things, a bit like Alice's series done Genesis, which is looking at the kind of roots of what's this all about, who is God, who are we, similarly with Paul's teaching um, on, on the gospel, uh, recognizing who God is and who we are; those things they play out and they affect all of our life, um, everyday life. So this is this is so good. And Paul's going to be particularly looking at um, so our theme of community, looking at the Trinity—Father, Son, and Holy Spirit—and what they show us about um, the community that's in God, and how does that community shape us as community? So that's our kind of theme today. And I'm, I'm going to pray. Uh, uh, to start us off, and then I'm going to read uh, the passage that Paul's going to be taking us to, and then hand over to Paul. So, uh, Lord Jesus, thank you. I want to thank you that we're part of your church. I want to thank you for the the church around the world, and just thinking about the Hong Kong church today. Thank you that we're part of this, and and around the world and throughout history, to through 2,000 years, people all over the place, all different um, life experiences, have met and, and come to know and become followers of Jesus and uh and 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 your church is this uh, amazing um um, sometimes bizarre um community of people uh, that you have commissions to bring your life and your goodness to earth on your behalf and we just thank you that that's what we're part of and we pray lord that as paul speaks to us as he teaches us today that you feed us we pray that you open our eyes, you open our ears, you open our hearts. We say yes to that, and we wanna we wanna we wanna learn, we wanna grow, we wanna be shaped into the design that you have for us. So please do that today. We welcome you. Amen. So I'm just gonna read uh read this passage that Paul's gonna be taking us to, and it's Paul it's it's Ephesians three, fourteen to the end, isn't it? Yeah, so this is from the New Living Translation of the Bible. Um Ephesians chapter three verse fourteen. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus, through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul, over to you.
1: Thanks, Chris. Well, hi everyone. As uh, Chris said, we're looking at uh, community. What does it mean to be the church community, the family of faith, the community of faith? And uh, again, as he sort of said in the intro, one of the amazing things about the gospel that gets revealed to us in the incarnation is that God is actually Father. And that God is Father from before the beginning of creation. It's not that God... Isn't Father, and then he creates Jesus, and then he, or he creates the world, and then becomes a Father, and somehow before Father, he was something else. Is that actually from right from the beginning, from eons past, eternity past to eternity future, God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is a relationship. It's a, a, a relational community, if you like, is present there uh, in the very being of who God is and who God is revealed to be. So when Jesus comes. In uh, John chapter 1, in the prologue, it says, In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, the Word was face-to-face with God, and the Word was God. And this relationship between the Father and the Son in the Spirit is shown to us by the Apostle John to be the very foundation and the very grounding of all of creation, of the whole universe, the Bible goes on to say that Jesus himself is the word that upholds the existence of everything, that that uh, God upholds all things by the word of his might. That word is Jesus Christ, who is the creator and sustainer of all things. Which means that actually, every atom in the universe, and therefore every creature, every tree, every planet, every person, uh, is Born into or comes into this world with a relationship to Jesus, because they couldn't be in this world without that relationship being present. Christ Himself upholds our very existence; He holds the very uh, atoms in our, our bodies together. He, he upholds the existence of everything. And the Apostle John is showing us there that the the grounding of that reality is the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. This is why the Apostle John can say later on, "God is love." which is the most tremendous statement, the most groundbreaking, earth-shattering statement in the New Testament, or at least one of them. God is love. He isn't just loving. God is love, the very substance, the very essence of love. How can this be? Well, because God is Trinity. God is triune. That there are three persons in the Trinity. And that it's one God. God is one God in three persons. This is a mystery. The church has been trying to get its head around for uh, thousands of years now. And we'll never get our head around it. As a friend of mine said, you know, in order to understand the Trinity, you have to be the Trinity. Um, so it's not something that we understand, but it is something that we get to participate in. And Jesus said, uh, baptize, be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what that's saying to us is our our baptism is a full immersion into the relationship, into the community of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And once our eyes are open to this, you'll see that it's on pretty much every page of the Bible. Especially the New Testament constantly frames things uh, in, in these terms. And in particular, I love this prayer of Paul's in Ephesians chapter 13 because of the way that it begins and because of the way that it ends and uh Chris uh, read that from the uh, new living which is great I'm I'm I kind of have it in my mind I've I've spent a lot of time in this prayer over the years and uh, in in different translations and it's interesting the different nuances that they bring out but it strikes me if you if you've gone to it now maybe you're looking it up or got it got it up on your computer on Bible Gateway, or on your your phone app, or perhaps you've got an old school physical paper Bible in front of you, and maybe you're looking at it now. Um, I I just wanted to hang a few thoughts that are going to stimulate, hopefully, our discussion on Sunday uh, around how we see community revealed to us in the Trinity, and what that means for us as the community and and family of faith. So you'll notice in this prayer that Paul begins by saying, and, and this is how I remember it, you know, he says, for this reason... I kneel before the Father. So straight away, he, he anchors everything he's going to say next, uh, predicated on the, the revelation that God is Father. And this is exactly what the Apostle John did in his Gospel as well. He starts there with this, this is the fatherhood of God. This is what the Nicene Creed does as well. We believe in one God, the Father, Almighty, the maker of heaven, maker of earth. Not one God, the Almighty. Father, the, the the wording of the creed is specific. One God, the Father Almighty. That the the, the uh, church fathers who who wrote the creed, they were very careful to follow the order of thinking that is is given to us by the apostles, and the the revelation of God as a Father, which is an inherently relational word. If you think about it, Father implies there's a relationship to children, uh, and of course, Son implies there's a relationship to parents. So. In in this case, we can see that the relationality of God is front and center. It's not a secondary thing, uh, a secondary attribute to who God is. It's absolutely fundamental and key to how we understand, how Jesus has revealed to us the way uh, in which God is. So Paul begins this way. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom all family in heaven and earth derives its name. So, straight away we see the progression of ideas. Paul moves from his God as father. Now, all family is derived from this reality. So, the reality of God as father, the reali- the Trinitarian reality of relationship in the Godhead, what directly follows from this is Paul saying all family in heaven and on earth. And it's interesting that he doesn't really say every family. He says all family. And this is maybe seems like, uh, well, what, what's the difference? But if you think about it, every family is implying there's lots of families, and all of them are as kind of family units there. And, of course, that's true. But actually, the language Paul uses here is it's a bit different from that. He says all family, which implies that there's an interconnectedness of the family of God that spreads throughout the whole of humanity, before we see that manifest in individual families or in individual relationships, there is a commonality to human life and indeed to the life of the whole cosmos that is grounded and rooted in the, in the reality of God as Father and the relationship to the Son, Jesus, in the Holy Spirit. So he says, "From whom all family in heaven and earth." Notice, it's one family in heaven and earth. It's not just there's a family in heaven and a family uh, on earth. Um, there is a, a, a continuum of family between heaven and earth. And I think this is such a beautiful uh, thought to meditate on because it means our, you know, those who who we've loved, who have passed on, you know, they, they've they've uh, they've died in this life. We actually see that, that that they live in the next one, and there's still an interconnectedness. There's a cloud of witnesses, there's a a, a fellowship of uh, of those who've gone before that is still with us right now in a very real way, not just in an imaginary way or in an inspirational way, but there's a very real continuum, and that's that's right there uh, in in the scripture, one family in heaven and on earth. And then Paul moves into his prayer. And what I, I find interesting about the prayers of the Apostle Paul, is, you can go and take a look at this, in pretty much all of the letters that Paul writes, he, he begins with a prayer. Or very close, close to the beginning, he begins with a prayer. He maybe says, like, hi, everybody, you know, grace and peace to you. And then he goes into a prayer. And it struck me that Paul's prayers always follow a similar theme. And I don't know if you kind of would put yourselves in in the shoes of the Apostle Paul for a moment and imagine you've planted all these hundreds of churches all around the world and you're trying to take care of them and you're trying to remember them all and all the issues that are there. And you're thinking, I want to pray for these churches. What the the kind of things are that you might think would be important for him to pray? He's only got so many hours in a day. He's only got so much time to pray. What would he be praying for? And perhaps you might think, well, Paul, maybe he's going to pray for them to love each other. That seems like it would be a good prayer. Or maybe he might pray that they might be really good at serving the poor. That also seems like it would be a good prayer. Or maybe he would pray that they would, they would get on well, or that they would forgive one another, or uh, that, that maybe they, they might be well and healthy, you know, and, and physically healed. Or Perhaps that might be the case. Or that they might be safe from persecution. Um, all these things seem like good prayers to me, but it's striking that if you go and look at the Apostle Paul's prayers, he never begins there. In fact, he, he very rarely even ends there. Uh, this prayer, I think, is interesting because of how it does end, and we'll get to the end in a minute. But you, you go and read all these prayers, and it seems to me that the common theme that Paul is always praying for, it's like the one thing he's always praying for the churches to, to receive, he, he said, puts it in terms like this. I pray that you may have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. I pray that you may know. I pray that you may understand. I pray that you may see. Paul's prayers are always centered around the theme of revelation. So I'm praying for you that you would see this. Because I think for Paul, he recognizes that if you can see what it is that Paul is praying for you to see... Then all these other amazing things, all these other beautiful ideas, all these other prayers or petitions we may have, he recognizes they're actually going to flow from that very thing. If you could see what it is the Holy Spirit has come to show you, then everything else is going to fall into place. So Paul's thinking, if I could just pray one thing, what can I pray strategically? And he he thinks, I'm going to pray for you to have the head of the river. I'm going to pray that you have the fountain head. I'm not going to pray that you have halfway down the river. Or, you know, all the way down the river. I'm going to pray that you have the fountain head. And more specifically, I'm going to pray that you may know you have the fountain head, Because in the eyes of the Apostle Paul, as with the Apostle John, and ultimately from Jesus, what he has shown us, is that we do have the fountainhead. That is Christ, and Christ crucified. And this is at the fullness of the deity in bodily form, and we have been given fullness in him. That's the fountainhead, and it exists within us all. And Paul's praying. He's saying, I I pray that you may know that so that you can then experience all these other things too, all these other great and wonderful things. So, he says, I pray that you, in in this prayer in in Ephesians 3, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power to comprehend. So you can see there's that word comprehend. It's the power to grasp or the, the power to understand so this is this revelatory language that Paul's using here. Of course, in this prayer in Ephesians, he frames it particularly, again, in relationality. Because he says, uh, mentions about the Father, then he mentions about family. Then he says that you may have power together with all the saints. So it's not an individualistic thing at this point. It's a corporate thing. It's a, a, it's a communal thing. So together with all the saints, that you could have power. And then he, he says to grasp the length and the breadth and the height and the depth. And most English translations of the Bible, including the New Living, at this point, they kind of qualify this and they say the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. And of course, it does mean that. But actually, that's not what it says in the Greek either. In the Greek, it it says the length, breadth, height and depth and the love of Christ. So Paul's actually saying the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of Christ and the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. And this is, again, it's a little subtle difference, but I, I think it's important because what, what Paul's doing here is he's taking us back to this issue of that the revelation of Jesus Christ is the grounding and the fountainhead of everything. So when he says, I want you to grasp how long Jesus is, he's, he's kind of imagining, imagining four dimensions or at least three, right? Length and breadth and height and then, and then depth so we could imagine it like this you know the length is how far does jesus extend into our lives just how far does he go and then the breadth how wide does jesus go how and and i kind of imagine the breadth it's kind of like saying we're, we're 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 side by side with one another this is jesus moving into our side by side relationships we've got the length this is jesus extending outwards in us through us and from us to others and then the breadth this is jesus extending Mutually, in between and through us, as we're built together side by side, it's the question of breadth, and then and then the height. It's like how high up does Jesus actually go? And he goes all the way into the highest heavens and beyond. If there is a place beyond, there is no height that he hasn't ascended to. And then the depth is how deep does Jesus go? How deep does he reach within you? And and this is a beautiful picture of the 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 indwelling Christ. In the life of humanity and especially the church. This is Jesus, the incarnate son, who is stretched into every corner of our being. There is no place in us. He hasn't already gone and and he hasn't touched with his light and his love. Which is why Paul then goes on to say, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We think about that one for a moment. How do we know something that surpasses knowledge? Well, he's speaking experientially. We can intellectually know that this is true about Jesus. We can intellectually agree with a dogma or a doctrine about the love of God or about Jesus Christ extending into all these areas of our lives. However, Paul's praying that we may know through intimate experiential acquaintance with that love. That you may know that love, you may experience it, you may taste it, you may handle it. That you may not just agree to it intellectually, but that it may have become your living reality and experience in all of those four dimensions. Every relationship, every, and, and every relationship you have with yourself, you know, I often think about the depth. Is like, that's my relationship with myself and it's my inner world, my inner monologue my inner imagination, thoughts, desires, how far Jesus has extended himself just into every corner there. And he's saying, I pray that in all of those places, at the furthest reaches of those four dimensions, you may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So he said, Father, family, power with all the saints to know, and what is it we're going to know? The dimensions of Christ, how far Jesus extends, And the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, which is an experiential knowing, a spiritual, mystical knowing, not an intellectual knowing only. And of course it includes that, but that's secondary. Uh, First and foremost, it's a true heart knowing, and that unveiling of the heart to see the truth of what is, which is the common theme in all of Paul's prayers. So he says this, that that you may have power to have all the saints to grasp the height, depth, length, and breadth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And then what's the consequence? Uh, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Actually, he said that before, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then uh, I've got my verses out of line. And um, you, you may have uh, uh, power to be The saints hype that thank of breath, know that the love of Christ surpasses knowledge, being filled with all the fullness of God. So the, what's the consequence of knowing the love that surpasses knowledge? The consequence is we are filled with all the fullness of God. Now, Paul's not saying we're unfilled. Because it's already, he's already started this prayer with the, the Father from all, whom all heaven and earth derives its name. When he's praying that our hearts may be strengthened so that Christ may dwell there, he's not saying Jesus doesn't dwell there already. You need to get stronger so that you can have Jesus live in you. He's, again, talking experientially. He's saying our hearts need to be strengthened so that we can know Christ dwelling there, that we can really experience that reality. And again, it's not just an intellectual idea, but our hearts are still full of fear and anxiety and doubt and suspicion and all these other things that that beset us and that attack us. He's saying, I want you to know strengthen your inner heart so that you know the indwelling Christ. And the consequence of all of this is then we're filled with all the fullness of God. So being filled means, again, in our experience, everything that we do comes alive. Everything becomes a burning bush, a light with the love, the warmth, the presence, and the power of Father, Son, and Spirit working in and through every single one of us. Being filled with all the fullness of God. And this is what was true, it was said of Jesus, in Christ all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. And you have been given, have been given fullness in him. You see, it's not something that we have to gain a hold of. It's something that has got a hold of us. It's not a message that we preach. It's a message that preaches us. Being filled with all the fullness of God. And then he ends with this, this beautiful verse, soft and qu- quoted, you know, now to him who is able to do immeasurably abundantly beyond anything we could ask for or imagine, he has to invent a word there, that, the, the, that word that he uses for immeasurably abundantly, it's, it's a made up word, because this is, I can't, I don't have a word that's strong enough to express, uh, what, what this, uh, this actually, this thing is I'm trying to talk about. Immeasurably abundantly, God can do beyond anything you could ask for or anything you could imagine. So think just how far Christ has extended, pray that you may grasp that. And then Paul's saying, now you need to add a bit more on there because God's able to do even more than you've been able to grasp. Not only that, he says, God's able to do even more than you're able to grasp according to the power that is right now at work within you. So it's not a power that we need to get, it's a power that's at work within us. That this union and this oneness that we have With the Father, Son and Spirit uh, By what Christ has done in us and for us That means this, this stuff is real this is, this is the reality And this is why Paul is always praying for revelation He's always praying that they would grasp it That they would see it Because he understands We're transformed by the renewing of our minds As our minds are renewed to this truth So the experience of this truth Becomes our day-to-day living reality So Keeping this in mind, how do, we, how do we anchor this in the question of community? Well, hopefully we've got a few thoughts that have maybe sparked off in looking at Paul's prayer for the Ephesians uh, already. But I, I want to take us back again to this concept I started with about the fact that the revelation of Christ, Jesus revealing himself to us, Jesus revealing the Trinity to us, That revelation really is the fountainhead fountainhead of everything, and this is what Paul was always praying for the church to, uh, to know and to understand. I want to take you back to this story in the Gospels, and this is the story of two sisters, Martha and Mary. And I don't know if you remember the story, but in, in the gospel story, Jesus goes to their house and they're a wealthy family and they want to host him, especially Martha. She wants to make him feel welcome. And you kind of get the idea there's a lot of housework to be done. So Martha is cleaning dishes. She's preparing food. She's kind of trying. She's trying to be a really good host. She's thinking, here's Jesus. I want to make him feel welcome. I want to do you know, all these things that that is going to honor him you know, as the Messiah. Meanwhile, her younger sister, Mary, is not doing any work at all. Mary's being bone idle. She's being absolutely lazy, at least in Martha's eyes. And in the story, it simply says that Mary is sitting with Jesus and listening to him. She's just giving him her full attention. And after a while, Martha gets really exasperated about this, and, and you can probably uh, imagine how Martha would be feeling, you know, if you're, uh, if, if you're with someone, and maybe your spouse, or friend, or, you know, family member, and, you know, you're kind of, if someone's not doing their share of the housework, you know, that can create a lot of conflict, right? So here, this is what's happening. It's a very human story. Conflict between sisters about who should be doing the housework. And here, the one is doing 100% of the housework, and the other is doing none of the housework. And you would think that Jesus would side with Martha, right? You'd think he'd say, yeah, actually, Mary, you need to, you need to pull your weight. You need to do your share. Go and help, go and help Martha, and then the two of you can, can come and be with me afterwards. But actually, it's uh, amazing what he says. Um, he says, Martha, you are worried and anxious about many things. So he identifies Martha's problem is not really to do with the housework. Martha's problem is to do with she's being driven by, by anxiety, fear, stress. He says, Martha, you're worried and concerned. You're anxious about many things. But, he says, only one thing is needed. He says, Mary has chosen that one thing. And in that is an invitation for Martha to say, actually, although all this stuff needs to happen, there is an invitation for me to go and sit with Mary and Jesus and just do the one thing. And I find this really striking because in our church life, when we think about, the, about community, when we think about our church activities or programs, you know, outreaches, all these different things. And again, all the, these are all good things and they're things that, that need to be done, things that need to happen and, and they, they serve a purpose. But it strikes me how little we really believe Jesus, how little we really believe the scripture. Because as far as I can tell, when Jesus says to Mary and Martha, only one thing is required of you. The whole reason that that's there in our Bible and wasn't just reserved for a private conversation between Jesus and those two sisters, as no doubt Jesus had many private conversations with them and others. Why is this one given to us? I think it's given to us for the simple reason that we're supposed to pay attention to it. Jesus says to us, only one thing is needed. Now, what is that one thing? Well, imagine, just picture for a moment, where is Mary? Mary is seated face-to-face with Jesus, just like at the beginning, John says uh, that the Son is face-to-face with the Father. So the beginning of all creation, the Son is face-to-face with the Father, and out of that relationship comes, out of that loving relationship, comes the creation of the whole cosmos. So now Jesus is repeating this very process, and he's repeating it with Mary. She's face-to-face with him, and in that interrelatedness, Jesus is saying, this is the only thing that is needed, the only thing that is required. I think this is what Paul's getting at when he's praying that we would have a revelation to see it as well. He's like, I I pray that you would have the revelation to be able to see that you don't need to be occupying the Martha position. You can actually occupy the Mary position. Face to face with Jesus in experiential and real communion with him. I think that's what the prayer in Ephesians 3 is all about. That as we, we recalibrate ourselves to just be face to face... In experience with Jesus, what begins to happen is that the love of God, which surpasses knowledge, becomes known to us. We experience it for ourselves. And in experiencing that love, we are spontaneously transfigured, spontaneously transformed into manifesting the image of Christ in everything else that we do. And I think this is why Paul always prays for revelation, and I think this is why Jesus always says, there is only one thing that is needed. That one thing is that place of communion. It's that, that face-to-faceness. Now, when we think about church, we think of all the activities maybe we do in church. There's prayer activities, there's worship activities, there's outreach activities, you know, food bank, uh, counselling, um, you know, whatever whatever it might be. Uh, kids work. Again, as I said, all of these things are are good. But actually, we think of them... Kind of like lots of different activities that we should be doing. And I think we often think about life this way too. We've got all these different activities, all these different responsibilities that are vying for our attention. They are kind of trying to put a demand on us. So there is a demand on us to do them. And we kind of turn around and think, well, how are there, how are there enough hours in the day to all the things to do all the things that need to be done? How do we have enough energy, enough emotional capacity or brain power to accommodate all of these different tasks? And that can be true for us as individuals, and it's certainly true for us as a community. How do we rightly apportion our time to give the due time to the different things that that need to have time given to them so that they work properly? And I think that that way of thinking is is responsible. Uh, And I think Martha is also responsible. When she's trying to host Jesus well, she's being responsible. And Jesus doesn't criticize her for that. In fact, he doesn't criticize her at all. But he calls her attention to the fact that at that moment in time, her responsibility was actually being driven by anxiety. It's being driven by stress, anxiety, and worry. And Jesus is saying, Martha, I've got to recalibrate you. I need to to unwind you for a minute because you're too tightly wound. I've got to unwind you and I've got to get you to come to rest, get you to come face to face with me, because then you'll realize that I am the life giver. I am the one who gives you the energy to even do those things. In fact, if you could just see it, I am the very word that upholds your very existence. I'm the one who's holding the atoms in your body together. My spirit is the very breath that is energizing you with oxygen. Without that, you wouldn't even be able to do anything, let alone lift up a dish to wash it. Martha, this is what you need to see, because if you could see that, it would enable you to receive and feel and know the extreme, incomprehensible love of God. And that love is the very love that the father has for the son. It's not like the love that the father has for the son. It is the love that the father has for the son. That the love we get to experience as God's children is the very love that the father has for Jesus in the spirit. And that's what we get to sit with Jesus and experience too. Because Jesus doesn't give us a relationship with the father like he has. He gives us his relationship with the father. And he gives us his flesh to eat and his blood to drink, which is the extreme imagery he uses to try and hit this radical idea home to us that, that, that this is what he's given us. So, thoughts for, thoughts for consideration. If we've got all these activities that we're doing, well, at different points in time, some activities are better than others. You know, we, we need to be wise about them and, and use our time well. So, Mary's sitting at the, at the, on the floor with Jesus does not negate the fact that there are dishes to be done and there's uh, there's hospitality to be, you know, um, carried out, right? That, that's that's still there. But Jesus is trying to draw our attention somewhere else and he's trying to show us a different way of being, a different way of doing life that is not reactive to circumstances but is responsive to his presence. And so I wonder, for me, I I, I think about this, whether it's, again, outreach or worship or fellowship or whatever it is we might be doing or giving money, whatever it is, I I often remind myself internally, I'm contemplating, Jesus, to me, these look like different activities. Like if I'm counseling somebody or if I'm, you know, if I'm worshiping, whatever it is, they look like different activities to me. But actually what you've shown me is really they are all one thing. That one thing is simply the the recognition of your face. Mary's there face to face with Jesus, recognizing him. And in in recognizing him, it's like, okay, like C.S. Lewis said about God. He said, I I believe in God like I believe in the sun. Not just because I can see the sun, but because by the light of the sun, I see everything else. And that's what we have in the face of Christ. Again, the apostle Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians, we have the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Christ. And we with unveiled faces behold the glory of the Lord as in in a mirror in the face of Christ. So what's he trying to tell us there? He's saying, we've had the veil lifted from us, that anything that existed in our minds or in our experience that could block us from being able to truly see and experience the love of God in the face of Christ, that's been removed. So now we just need to stop and allow him to lift our face so that we we can look him straight in the eye. What happens to us as we do that is that immediately we're transfigured. Because in seeing Him, we suddenly realize the sacred presence of the Father, Son, and Spirit is not just something outside of us, but it's within us. We are in God's image. That sacred presence is there. So now in, whether it's in whatever, in whatever way it might manifest, it could be in prayer, it could be in telling a joke, you know, it could be in drinking an amazing cup of coffee. Suddenly you've been, you're encountering the face of Christ it's like, there's Jesus, there's His goodness. There's his love and his grace to me. And in allowing yourself to experience that, suddenly you embody it. The natural consequence of that is you just become loving. You don't try to be loving, you just are loving. Because the natural consequence of being filled with that experiential love is that you love other people the same way. You begin to see, well, this one who I'm in loving communion with... The, the Father, Son and Spirit who baptized me right into the center of their relationship they 've also baptized everyone else into the center of that relationship too. so now our vision is getting cleared it 's like the, the 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 windex is going on our windscreen you know it 's clearing the mud off the windshield, and we can suddenly see, oh, this is the Jesus who's living in me, and it 's the Jesus who's living in you. I can now recognize Christ in you, and not only Christ in you. I can recognize Christ in everything and in everyone. Because that's the testimony of the scripture. That in Christ we all live and we all move and we all have our being. Now, when I'm helping you out when I'm making you a cup of tea I'm not just making you a cup of tea I'm also worshipping Jesus because I'm giving Jesus a cup of tea and I'm also expressing my communion and my union with him and I'm also hearing from him and receiving from him I'm participating with him all of these things are just the one thing In that giving of the cup of tea, it's the same thing as that which Mary was doing, seated at the feet of Jesus. She was calibrated to the one blissfully and beautifully simple reality of that face-to-faceness with Jesus. After all, the Apostle John shows us, that face-to-faceness brought us the creation of the entire cosmos. So anything that we could possibly do or accomplish is surely less than the creation of the entire cosmos, And John is saying that's the relationship that we've been submerged fully into. So, as we've submerged fully into that, what does it it do to us? It makes us witnesses. And witnesses are people who have witnessed something. And to witness something, you have to see something, right? So what are we witnessing? We're witnessing Christ in each of us. We're witnessing Christ in our neighbor. We're witnessing in Christ in the people we don't like. It's like, okay, Jesus, you need to show me where you are. Where is your sacred presence in this person? Because I've adopted ways of thinking, I've adopted prejudices, I've adopted mindsets, attitudes, belief systems that have muddied my windshield so that when I look at this person I'm seeing them in a distorted way. I'm I'm not able to regard them as you. I'm not able to see you in them, so I can come and worship you on a Sunday, and then I can be rude to somebody, you know, on on a Wednesday. It's like that. That how does that work? It's a failure for it's a failure in our ability to see. Jesus said, "As much as you do to the least of these, you do to me." So, if you give a cup of water to the least regarded person in society, you're actually giving it to me. I've so identified myself with everyone. And I think this is the basis for all of our this should be the basis for all of our conversations around community. It's really about the recognition of sacred presence. How do we recognize the presence of the Father, Son and Spirit in ourselves, in our families, in our in one another, in our community, in our activities? How do we locate that sacred presence? You know, the Trinity is all about other-focused, self-giving love. That's that's the way of the Trinity's being. And you know, we we say here in, in Hope that the kingdom, there is no coercion or control in the kingdom. We don't see any coercion in the Trinity. We don't see any manipulation in the Trinity. We don't see any selfishness in the Trinity. So, and that's the life that we've been given, the life that we've been submerged into. So I think what we need is we need an unveiling of that. We need a We need to know that in our experience. And as a community, we need to commit together to say, do you know what? We need to allow ourselves to go on that journey of recalibrating around that one thing that says all right how do we how do we recognize sacred presence we actually do it in many ways in fact maybe we don't always call it that but we do it, we do it in many ways and i think we should call it when we see it we should be able to say i really saw jesus in you at that moment i really saw jesus at this in this action I really saw Jesus in this in this moment, or, or in this uh, project. Or I, I, I could see Jesus there. I bore witness to Him there. A couple of final thoughts on that, you know, and then, then I'll, I'll round off. I, um, m- many of you may know uh, uh, Grace and myself. You know, we've been trying for children for a few years, and we went through uh, IVF um, over the last year. And you know, Grace is expecting imminently, like in the next few days, um, a, a baby girl, and. You know, I, it's never something that I expected to go through, but we were going and visiting IVF clinics, and I'd never really given any thought to this whole process, and you know, it just wasn't on my radar until we were there. And I remember sitting in these clinics, and we, we visited three clinics, and every time I went to one of these, I was so struck by the sacred presence of Jesus. It, it really it had left a lasting and a deep effect on me. Because it was like I could see these, these people, these medics, doctors, nurses, scientists, who'd given their whole lives... Given all of their expertise, to, uh, to dedicated to the process of helping couples like us uh, have a child, but dedicated to the process of bringing new life into the world, and I felt like that was that was just gold to to be able to sit through what was a di- was a difficult and, and and painful process in many ways, but actually to see in the midst of that. Here is the sacred presence of Jesus. Probably in a whole bunch of people, may, many of them maybe don't even know who Jesus is. Maybe they don't believe in God. Maybe they do. I don't know all of the people and I don't know all that's going on, but I know that Jesus is there and it's re- was recognizing his presence there. Um, and that, that for me was, it, it changed me to see that. It, it changed me in an instance to see that. And so I, I, I wonder if I could encourage us that in, as we begin to think and discuss the praxis, you know, the practicalities of what we do as a community, especially as we move out of COVID season, you know, when I think everything is in upheaval and we, we ought to be prepared for change. We ought to be prepared for things not to look exactly the way that they looked before. Um, but how, how do we know that we're moving forward? Well, the scripture doesn't say take care what you build. It says take care how you build. And I think that the, the how, the way in which we build, should be building with the one thing. The recognition of the sacred presence, the Father, Son, and Spirit. Recognizing and bearing witness to the face of Christ. I think if we keep that front and center, and we we keep encouraging one another to do that, then actually it will add a certain quality and a dimension to all of our conversations about our activities that's going to supercharge them. Because remember the end of... Paul's prayer, and I'm going to finish here. He's he, The end of his prayer, the conclusion of his prayer, is that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to God who is able to do immeasurably abundantly beyond anything you could ask or imagine, he, he prays. Be glory in the church now and for all generations to come. So here we are as the church. We want to see God glorified. We want to see amazing things happen. We, we want to see answers to prayer and, you, you know, all of this. And Paul ends there, he ends at that point, but the journey he takes us to get there in his prayer is all really one that is about being calibrated around sacred presence. So, Father God, my prayer for us right now, as a church, as uh, Hope uh, Community Church, and as the the wider church in the city, and the wider church uh, uh, around the world, and indeed the wider family of all of humanity as well, I pray that we may have that spirit of wisdom and revelation. I pray that any veils that we've allowed to shroud our vision or that others have done things that have caused us to shroud our vision you know, through no fault of our own. I pray that those veils would be lifted now in our experience. I pray for everyone who's listening to this, that in this moment, in this instant, they would see and know the love of Christ that is for them that love that is Jesus' love, the love of the Father to Jesus and that they're sharing in, that they would experience that now, that their, that their inner being would come alight and would come alive in the reality of that love. And I pray for everything that we do and everything that happens in our dialogues, our discussions, all of our plans and our projects in the coming months and years as we're coming into a, an incredible season of growth, as that happens, I pray that we would grow up in the same, in the way of Christ, we would continue to grow that way, just drinking that pure spiritual milk of being in relationship with you. And I pray for us that we would regard no one after the flesh, but that we would learn to regard everyone after the Spirit. And Father, if there's anybody in our lives who we have become degraded in our vision towards, the people who we are seeing them as less than they truly are, uh, I pray that you give us eyes to see those people. I pray that you give us eyes to bear witness to Christ within them. So that we we may be able to reflect that Christ to them as well. Even, and I dare say especially for those who don't know Jesus yet. That we might be able to bear witness to Christ in them. So that they too may come to know him. And they may come to share with us in the, in, in the life of the church. In the family of believers. Bless you guys. Thanks so much for listening. And I look forward to seeing you on Sunday. And I'll tag back to Chris.
0: Great, thanks so much, Paul. I must admit, I was panicking a little bit in some of that on USA. I'm trying to mobilise. One of my jobs this afternoon is so to mobilise some teams for this coming Sunday. And I was thinking, what? You know, what's he saying here? You know, we gotta, We need. We need some people to like host stuff and do things. And, um, but I really want to agree with what, what Paul was saying. Um, and it's, it's 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 you know it's fresh teaching for me, and it's and I'm just soaking it up. Um, but that whole thing about what we're building as community um, we don't just want to go through the motions do we, we're not just trying to you, you can do stuff out of, like, I really resonate with that you can do stuff out of fear you can coerce people into doing things and you can hash together a, a system and a structure that has some impact, but actually that's not what we're about is it, We're about. Um, we're about we want to see the kingdom of God come and the kingdom of God is where Jesus is king We want to. We 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 believe that the things that we're called to see happen actually only come about really through the power of God and our partnership with Him in that. So um, yeah, I I just want to agree with those prayers and 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 for me, there's I don't know about you, but for me, there's some sort of like trying to work this work this out. How does that work? But if Mary's not doing the jobs or whatever, then then what do we do? How do we do it? And I I think kind of what you're saying is it. I guess some of my takeaway is is is. Don't go into fear. Don't go into anxiety. So for me, for Sunday, and the coming sort of Sunday plans, it's like, okay, operate from a place of this is God's church. This is Jesus is, is in charge here. I'm going to trust that you'll put things together. Would, would you say that's that's my posture, Paul? Come and, come a bit nearer the microphone. <laughs> come nearer the microphone and just, just coach me in how I process it. You know? and I, so I think it's that thing, is it, of, um, is it of being at peace and just saying, actually, God, this is your church. I trust you. It's not saying so that we, none of us ever do anything, but it's like saying, we, I like that thing about recognising the, the, the presence of Jesus wherever we are mm. and, and seeking that out. And, and, and actually, you mentioned as well that the, within the Trinity, there's a mutual giving and a serving and initiating um, of each other, you know, preferring each other. So, so it's not that we don't do anything, don't mm. do practical stuff. I don't know if you're in camera. Yeah, that. no, no, no. I
1: don't know. No, you, it's, yeah, I absolutely. I, I see the, I see the pastor in Chris <laughs> wanting the caveat him. Um, so, uh, so again, as I said, G- Jesus never criticizes Martha. He never says that Martha's, that, that Martha's doing the wrong thing. It's, he goes to her heart, to her motivation, and he's doing it to set her free, actually. He's mm-hmm. doing it to liberate her from having her life dictated to her by the tasks that are around him. Yeah. So to think about the Apostle Paul, he says, he says, I accomplish more than all the other apostles. He said, but not I. He said, Christ in me. And he puts it another way. He says, I struggle with all of the energy of God that so powerfully works within me. So Paul's showing us that the way of his being is he, he's accomplished more than everyone. He's planted more churches. He's done, he's just done more, you know, who's done more than, than the apostle Paul. Um, but he's showing us, but how did I do it? He said, I, I didn't do it. He said, I, I was just completely transfixed on the, the just that inner dynamic of the overflow of, of the Holy Spirit, that energy that so powerfully works in me, that's the thing that's making all this happen. It's not me trying to accomplish or trying to become. In fact, Paul's been so liberated from the burden of needing to prove himself or needing to accomplish something, mm. needing to earn or achieve, all of that he's been delivered from. So now, actually, paradoxically, What that means is he is now liberated and free to be the most fruitful and the most active and the most activist, (laughs) in in fact. But it's it's not because he's under an obligation. In fact, he says, let no obligation, let no debt remain outstanding except the debt of love. Mm. Now, love isn't something we can manufacture. Love is something that comes spontaneously to us when we know that we're loved. Mm. So I think what can happen and what happens for many of us is that we try and We try and earn love from God or approval or or we try and justify our existence by the things that we do. And actually, what Jesus is is trying to do with us there, he he is trying to stop us. He's trying to ground us and bring us to a place of stillness and inactivity. That's in Psalm 23, he makes me lie down in green pastures. So what's Jesus doing? He's trying to make you lie down. All right. Now, once once he's got you there, then your natural activity is going to decrease, absolutely. You're going to find activism, activity, speaking, doing. It's going to get very quiet and very still. That's a beautiful place to be. Now, in that place of stillness, the reality of the face of Christ can become much clearer to us. And then we find suddenly we're being resourced by a grace and an energy and a power that's not from ourselves. It's of divine origin because it is the very person of the Holy Spirit within us. So I think one way that we can we can do this, Chris, you know, talking about Sunday and getting teams together and these sorts of things. I think what, one way to do it is to actually say, "Do you know what? What is in your heart to do? What do you get excited about doing? What's going to what's going to give you joy?" Um, rather than thinking, "Oh well, uh, somebody has to do the job, so I better just do it because if I don't, nobody else is going to do it." That's not a good reason to do a job, honestly. That's a, that's a bad reason to do a job, even if the job needs to be done and it's important that it gets done. To do a job just because no one else is doing it is in itself, maybe it's good to get you, get you thinking about it, but it's, it's a bad place to finish, if I can put it that way. Um, far better that we actually, but what is the passion of the Holy Spirit rising up within? What gifts do we have that are actually going to be, uh, exciting for us to use, that are going to energize us, uh, to, in, in our serving, rather than trying to do the things we think we're supposed to be doing, why don't we find out what the Holy Spirit is doing for us as individuals and for us as a community and get on board with that? Then there'll be grace to do it. And if there isn't grace to do it, I mean, I don't know, I'll give you an example of like, I used to do these in in London, we used to do these all night prayer meetings when I was a student. And we would go from like 10 in the morning and 10 at night until six in the morning. And I remember so often you'd hit like two, three in the morning. and It was like, it was clear nothing was going on. You know, everyone's tired. And, you know, and we would just constantly be like, well, we have to do the whole night. So let's just keep going, you know. You get really exhausted kind of pushing through. And actually, if we were honest, probably Holy Spirit went home at 12 o'clock and we didn't go home. We kind of stayed there for another six hours because we thought this is what we should be doing. Because, of course, spiritual people are going to pray all night on a Friday. Um, Well, that's, that's man. Holy Spirit going home at 12, that's God. Um, and staying up all night to pray may be a good thing, but actually it may also be a good thing to have a good night's sleep so that you're refreshed and you're, you're willing to give time to your family and, you know, do other things on Saturday or, or Sunday. So I think it's about allowing God to be God. It's about allowing Him to lead us. I think that we will actually accomplish far more doing that, like the Apostle Paul, than, than we will if we get into kind of reaction mode. So my, my kind of, my slogan on it is, let's respond to the Holy Spirit rather than react to circumstance. Brilliant. Cheers,
0: that's good. Thanks so much, Paul. So we say yes, don't we, to that kind of um, that kind of community? We want to be that community, Lord, that is under your leadership, led by you, not doing things out of obligation, but out of a worship and an overflow and a love for you. So feel um, feel released, you know, as a church. Let's feel released and let's 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 be community according to the leading of uh, of God, as Paul described it.